Money FM 89.3, best of the breakfast huddle. Mind your business with the breakfast huddle only on Money FM 89.3. Money FM 89.3. Good morning. It's The Breakfast Huddle. Elliot Danka, Barrett Jagdish and Ryan Huang with you. Let's talk about one of the most precious commodities these days, data. Mm, more valuable than gold, many say at this point. And of course, hand in hand with data, it is AI that helps you dissect and make meaning of that data. The two are indeed merging into a synergistic relationship. AI is useless without data and mastering data is insurmountable without AI. So by combining the two disciplines, we can begin to see and predict upcoming trends in business, technology, commerce, entertainment, and well, everything in between. So how can those in the IT sector continue to keep up? Well, this company, Databricks, recently announced the expanded availability of its services on Google Cloud for customers across the region, across the Asia Pacific, with availability on Google Cloud's Singapore and Sydney regions as well. This momentum, of course, follows the partnership's global launch last year and the expansion across Southeast Asia is a reflection of growing regional customer demand for open and modern lake house. Let's find out more about this from Andrew Martin, head of South Asia for Databricks. Andrew, good morning. How are you? Good morning, everyone. Thanks for having me on the show. I'm great. How are you? Uh, Very good, sir. And you guys are on a mission to help data teams solve the world's toughest problems. I suppose before we talk about those problems, tell us a little bit more about Databricks. Absolutely. Yeah, that's, that's right. We, we believe all teams in business are data teams and, and our purpose in life is to help those data teams solve some of the world's toughest problems with uh, data. Um, and to do that, we are the uh, inventor and the pioneer of a new category in data and AI, which we call uh, the lake house. Okay. Keanu Reeves in that one? No, yeah. <laughs> what was that? Is Keanu Reeves in that one? No, I'm kidding. I'm kidding. <laughs> you, you know, funnily enough, I just did watch The Matrix the other day. And, uh, <laughs> uh, it, it was a good old classic again. But um, yeah, look, Keanu Reeves could be in the Lake House. In fact, everyone can be uh, part of Lake House because mm. it brings businesses of all sizes, all industry and all ages, um, the ability to put their data on one simple, collaborative, open source, open standard cloud platform so that all of their teams can execute all use cases from AI to BI on in one place, mm. making it faster to innovate and create uh, data and AI innovation. Let's be more specific about the problems that people are facing currently, because clearly you are trying to solve the problem, right? But let's get down to the nitty gritty here. What are the three or four major issues that clients are facing in terms of collecting, storing and processing data? Yeah, that's great. I think over the next five to, to 10 years, we're seeing a really strong set of trends consistently evolve with the most successful uh, data and AI companies. Firstly, we're seeing a continued growth in the number of companies building their technology and data on the cloud. And in Singapore here, with the investment in public cloud growing, we've seen that a few years ago at around $1.5 billion, to now, by the end of next year, we're seeing that as much as $3.6 billion in public cloud investment. So one of the big trends is really continuing to see companies build their data and technology on the cloud. Uh, Secondly, what we also see, and I work with many different companies out here in Singapore, and right in the heart of Singapore, we can see there's a really big demand to simplify 
data architectures. Most companies have built different applications, different solutions to support uh, different use cases, but that creates this disconnected set of data which makes it costly and, and slow to innovate. And so as we move forward, one of the big trends we're seeing companies of all sizes think about is how to create a simple architecture that provides one platform for all of your data that allows all of the innovation to happen in one place. And then finally, this is a big one, embracing open source and open standards. And recently we surveyed a, a, a range of different data leaders and one of their number one, one of their number one regrets was not embracing open source and open standards soon enough. And as the different types of data evolve and, and AI becomes more and more prevalent, there's a range of different open source and op- open source technology and open standards companies need to, to make sure they can consider. Uh, Andrew, uh, could I trouble you to expand a little bit on that? And pardon me, because I, I don't fully understand. So why is it not capitalizing on open source? I mean, what did that cost these companies? Yeah, great. So awesome. I love this topic. So... Firstly, when you embrace open data formats, uh, it it avoids vendor lock-in and it provides flexibility that allows organisations to more easily share and use data across different systems and tools. And I think in Asia in particular, it's not new. I mean, over two-thirds of the IT leaders we speak to already use some type of open source technology and open standard. However, as the sophistication of data and AI rapidly improves, we're starting to see massive adoption and demand for open source and open standards, and in fact, more so than our uh, our neighbours in the US or, or Europe. Talk to us about the costs of all of this. I mean, a lot of companies say it can be prohibitive, but if you know how to navigate the arena, it doesn't really cost much at all. So how can all of this be operationalized in the most cost-effective manner? Yeah, I, I think I think just in speaking with different data teams, I think both cost and risk are definitely uh, considerations that you, you need to, to manage. And many companies, that the first uh, conversation I have or my team has with companies is how do we optimise and minim- optimise cost and, and minimise risk. I mean, I think when you use the cloud and when you embrace open source technologies, it's really easy to get started use case by use case without having to have long, lengthy uh, discussions, sign an enterprise contract and then go through a a big implementation. You can pick, you know, easy to use, easy to build, easy to deploy use cases that fit for every industry and build from the ground up use case by use case um, using open source technologies like Databricks and um, building your data in the cloud. I mean, and and correct me if I'm completely on the wrong track here, Andrew, but it's quite amazing, this open source thing, because I've just quickly checked up. Open source could solve COVID-19 vaccine inequality. <laughs> yeah, I, I believe that's true. I believe open source has the opportunity when used properly to solve any of the world's <laughs> toughest problems. <laughs> amazing. Okay, yeah. so, so illustrate for us how it can do this in the case of those vaccines and access to vaccines. Well, I think, I think one of the great things with health and life sciences is that companies are able to access technology uh, anywhere in the world, in the cloud, and, and with open source, they can start to use it easily. And so if you think about, although I don't have an immediate example here for COVID, I've got a very similar one for the Genome Institute of Singapore, which right. is part of ASTAR. 
And when you think about Singapore's ageing population and the increased prevalence of chronic disease, healthcare is moving from treatment to prevention. And to do that, GIS, in partnership with us, has been analysing over 10,000 human genomes here in Singapore to then look at patterns in that data that would identify faster routes to market to solve some of the world's toughest illnesses. But even more so, because they're able to access Databricks in the cloud and use open source technologies like us, they can process that data much faster, get the answers they need much quicker. And now they're looking at building uh, a referenceable database of over 100,000 Singaporeans, which isn't just going to provide life-saving insights for Singaporeans, but we're going to be able to share those insights with the rest of the world, putting Singapore on the stage once again for being a data and, a, a data and AI innovation hub. So whether it's COVID vaccines or more recently the work we've done with GIS, all of these researchers need to be able to access this data, build insights and drive actions from it. Mm. Um, and open source technology provides a faster market to do that. Mm. By the way, if you've talked about it, you can already see the economic implications, the economic recovery implications. I'm curious though, what does this mean for Apex data landscape and how do you see it shaping up in the next five years? Yes, so um, because of the investments in public cloud, because of the adoption in, the, in some of the other trends I spoke about, there's speaking with leaders of different businesses, there's two or three challenges that are going to need to be considered by everyone listening in today, okay. whatever business. And um, yeah, the, the first one is, I think there's a range of use cases that are consistent across industry. Banks are considering machine learning for fraud detection. Um, customers like Grab are looking at uh, providing Lakehouse capabilities to provide their teams with insights on customers. And there's a range of other uh, technology use cases as well. And I think what we're seeing over the next five years will be a shift in companies moving from software companies to data and AI companies. And it's choosing these best-in-class use cases for each industry that are becoming productized and available now. It's choosing which ones are going to future-proof your business. That's going to be the big trend now. What are the data and AI use cases I can implement for my business? And where will I be at the end of that process compared to my competitors? When we talk about the Asia-Pacific region or even just Southeast Asia, we have to come to terms with the fact that there is a great disparity in terms of access to technology. When we talk about geographical divisions and the willingness to use the technology as well, disparities in that arena. So how do you bridge that with a service like this? Right, well, there's, there's, two, there's two parts to that, I think. There's, one is the access to data. And two is just building the skills and talent mm. you know, in the market and, and creating jobs um, for, for Singapore and building that talent to, to serve those future jobs as the, as the industry grows. Um, for access to data, the ability to transfer data across boundaries and, and jurisdictions is, is increasingly crucial to using data-driven uh, technologies. Uh, and consumers, businesses, and in fact, actually the public sector with government um, are needing to consider using um, data on a daily basis. And yet, um, you know, it, not just in Singapore, in Asia Pacific, uh, the economies have a lot of regulatory measures in place that limit or restrain the flow of data, and such measures can negatively impact the, uh, the, the emergence and the maturation of, of AI. So, AI needs vast amounts of data to effectively learn and expand and, and these blanket type of restrictions on data movements are going to continue to hinder its ability to, to access those vital resources. So 
we're, we're working extremely hard with, with, with business, with government, um, to think about ways in which we can make sure that the regulation supports AI for good and the good use of, of AI across the different uh, markets here in Asia-Pacific. Mm, I, I do apologize if, if this might sound a little bit complicated. So I, I get that you're talking about the architecture uh, for data and you're kind of alluding to the whole idea of a good data strategy. I do want to ask about that. What makes a good data strategy? Should we bear in mind that at some point there needs to be an international governance? Although I don't know how you would have an international governance where everyone's somewhat on the same page because uh, with cyberspace, there are no boundaries. Yeah, right. <laughs> Sorry, no, mate. Don't, don't, no, 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 no need to apologise. I love, I love questions like that. And, you know, personally, I, I'm still figuring it out too. Like my team, our customers, our partners, uh, everyone in the ecosystem is continuing yeah. to, to think about these uh, ways. But what we do know is that the current architectures companies use, if they're siloed and they create multiple applications, mm. even within their own business, it becomes very hard to govern. So putting that modern architecture I spoke about that's simple and has your data in one place allows you to build governance and security within. And then as regulation adapts, and there's only so many things we control, but one of the things we know that will continue to happen is continued change in regulation. To adapt and comply with those regulations in the markets we serve, we need to be able to do that quickly. And so having that simple modern architecture with governance and security built in means you only need to continue to maintain and develop that in one place as opposed to having a data warehouse here an application for exploratory data science there and so forth Mm -hmm. and it becomes very difficult to to maintain your your architecture when you've got uh, different applications so that that's how we're helping companies stay up to speed with um the the continued uh, change in regulation and compliance You talk about there being too much regulation and working with governments and agencies to bring about a phenomenon of AI for good and to further AI for good. But you can't blame them for being suspicious of all of this, right? Because things can get out of hand so quickly. So what is your strategy in terms of convincing them otherwise and to ensure that really those ill effects are mitigated, are blunted and in fact eliminated altogether? Yeah, well, I, I think I, I definitely don't want to, to blame them. In fact, I think we, we at Databricks want to thank them. We, you know, we appreciate the great work of, of many governments like uh, the government here in Singapore and, and all of the other countries we serve. And, and we really respect that, um, you know, we, we need to put boundaries in place to make sure that data and AI is, is used for good. So, no, we certainly don't think there's too much uh, regulation or, or blame governments for, for getting in our way. In fact, the other way around, we, we embrace their need to protect the community and, and make sure data and AI is, is used for good reason. And, you know, we, we continue to work with uh, companies of all size, small business, digital natives, um, large enterprises across all industry. And, and I think collectively, there's a, a really strong interest in making sure that as we use data and AI, it's done in a way that, uh, you know, meets the needs of the government that we, uh, we operate in. All right, we've been speaking with Andrew Martin, who is head of South Asia at Databricks. Andrew, appreciate your time this morning. You take care and stay safe. Thank you very much, everyone. Have a great day. To listen to more great interviews, download our podcasts at moneyfm893.sg or download our audio app. That's A-W-E-D-I-O. Available on Google Play or the App Store.